as we continue on, and the Lord's brought us as far as chapter 16 here in Genesis. So please open your Bibles to chapter 16, and we're going to continue on. Remember Sarai at this time, at the beginning of chapter 16, she's now 75 years old. Abram's now 85, right? And you might remember at the beginning of chapter 12, Abram, right when he was leaving Haran, he was, you know, 75 years old. So 10 years has passed. And, you know, in chapter 15, 8, you remember, look in your Bibles right now, it said, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Talking about the promise, the land. That's what, you know, Israel today, all of the land. How will, how will I know, Lord? And God, what does he do? He does this miraculous unilateral covenant where he splits the animals in two like that. You know, Abram does. And the sacrifice of the blood. And he, God himself, walks down when Abram, you know, after swatting the birds all day and the vultures like that. He's now whooped and he's just like, I got nothing left. He sits down and like many of us at the end of a night, you know, working all day, busy. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit down and just, just for one second, I'm going to close one of my, just one second and I'm out, you know, trying to close one eye like that. And I'm just, I'm out, man. I'm sleeping in the chair or wherever on the floor, wherever I land. And so, you know, I was thinking of Abram like that. Here he is, he's doing all this. And then isn't it just like our God, so sweet? What does he do? He walks right in, has the unilateral covenant. He confirms it by his strength, not by Abram's striving, not by anything man does. And you would have thought Abram, you know, seeing this, would have kind of stepped back and went, well, wow, Lord, you know, in my weakness, you are made strong. You, you made 100% certain that, that in no way could I take any part of this covenant. No way could I work my way into this covenant. That it was really a covenant of grace. Unmerited favor, right? Undeserved favor that way. Mercy. And so, I mean, it's just beautiful. We see this establishment. I mean, this is a high point, a spiritual high. I mean, Abram had already gone to Egypt. He had a spiritual low. Now he's at a spiritual high. And now as we go into chapter 16 tonight, we're going to kind of drop back down into a little bit of a spiritual low, you might say, for Abram. You know, and I don't know about you, you know, when I read this, I mean, Abram's the father of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, there's so many books that talk about Abram as the father of faith. And I, I look at this guy and I'm going, man, this guy's like amazing in his promises. And then I get to this chapter here and I look and it reminds me he's a man. Just like any other man. He's a woman, you know. She's a woman, excuse me, Sarah is a woman just like any other woman. You know, there's this, this simplicity, this humility of heart that Abram and Sarah didn't arrive I like to say, we don't arrive. They didn't arrive. No, they were working it faith to faith. And, you know, when I read this, I mean, it's encouraging. Not, not, of course, that Abraham has a weak moment that way. But it's encouraging to know that I'm, I'm not alone. That I'm working faith to faith, just like you're all working faith to faith. And even these people that the Bible, you know, David, Jacob, Abram, I mean, you look at these men and, and, and these women. Look at the women. You know, Sarai, Ruth, you know, all these, you know, beautiful women. Characters, hearts, beautiful. And we all make mistakes. We all have those moments where we just, we miss it. 
You know, we, we sin. What is sin? It's, by definition, it's missing the mark. We miss the mark. Isn't it refreshing to know that our God doesn't look at us and say, well, you've missed the mark and therefore I want nothing to do with you? He doesn't throw us away. He doesn't just start over that way. He finishes the work He's began in us. I love that about our God. No matter where you are tonight, no matter what sin you might be thinking about or overcoming or whatever's going on in your life, I mean, we have a God that we can enter the presence of His perfect love and not feel like it's based on our works. I would argue it's in spite of our works. His love, His unconditional love. So I think most of us here tonight, we're going to sleep well tonight. We're going to go home. We're going to lay in our beds as the Lord's given us provisions, a home, a house, a bed, a pillow. That's all we need. We've been given far more than we need. He's given all of us that. And we're going to lay our heads down tonight. And we're not going to be thinking about the what-ifs and I shouldn't haves. And We're just going to lay it at the feet of Christ. And we're going to rest knowing that we are forgiven. And we're in good company. We're in the company of Abram. We're in the company of Sarah. I like that. So as we look at verse 1 here, we'll do our responsive reading tonight, and then we'll come back and go line by line. So it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress came in spies in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. <laughs> I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in her hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your sentence exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also here seen him who sees me. Therefore, the well was called the year of the high road, a servant in 
So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you here that you've given us this account, Lord God, that we can see again hearts and characters, Lord, specifically Abram here, Sarai, we see Hagar, Lord, we introduced what will be this new baby, Lord, that was conceived, Ishmael, Lord. And God, as we look upon this, we, we don't have to look too far to know that often, God, we think that you need help. Often, God, we try to micromanage uh, our relationship with you, Lord. And, and we know that often that creates more trial than it does success, Lord. It, it, it causes us to wander more often because we actually miss uh, the very gift that you're putting before us, the blessing, God, and instead we begin to strive and work. And, and in that, God, if it would happen, it would be us that would be glorified. But no, Lord, it will always be your glory. So God, you allow us to get to the end of ourselves and then which time you, in the right time, in the perfect time, God, you bless us. So Lord, as we, we read this here tonight, as we, as we study this, God, I pray that we would find a sense of peace, that we would guard our hearts against trying to, to help you, Lord, and that we would just be yielded and surrendered. We'd have the right heart to, to understand, Lord God, that you have the very best in mind for us always, even when we can't understand it nor see it. And that's why you've told us it's a promise. It's a promise of faith. We ask this all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it says, now, Sarai, and forgive me if I go in between Abram and Sarah, forgive me on that already. Abram's wife had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now, a lot's gone on in this ten years that... They left Haran, and they had come, they had traveled, they had gone into a war. Remember, he sent his, his family out, they had seen great things. You know, we see God come to Abram, he knew his heart, I am your shield, right? He, he come through and he said, look, I am your great reward. He gives Abram tons of comfort. But Abram, just like any one of us, he's human, and he has moments of doubts, lacks, of, lacks faith at times. And, and here we see as he's, he's going to come here, we see that his past sin, things that he's done, are now going to come back up. You see, there's consequences to our sin. Many times we might think, oh, I got away with it. Maybe Abram thought, I got away with it. I, went, I didn't trust the Lord. I went down to Egypt. I got in and out because there was a famine. I didn't trust God to provide and provide provision for me. I, I thought I'd help God, and so therefore I moved us down to Egypt because I saw that's where all the food was. And, and I knew God that, you know, I'm going to help God and, and micromanage my life instead of trusting that God would... Is, is our God not big enough that he could have provided for Abram right where he was? Of course. Of course. But so he goes down to Egypt like that. Egypt always, typically in Scripture, represents many times the city of sin that way. So he goes down there. And what does he do? Well, you remember the account. He turns around and he asks his wife to lie. You might say, well, it's a half-truth. It's a lie. And he said, tell, tell him, Pharaoh, or whoever you might be, for my sake, for, for Abram's sake, 
that we're not married here, but that you're just my sister. And that way you can save my own hide, right? And so what happens? I mean, you have to go back to them to see where the sin begets. Because when, when you go back there by that lie, what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh, one of his servants, they look and they say, wow, this woman's beautiful countenance. Bring her to Pharaoh. Right? And then as Pharaoh has these plagues, he knows something's wrong. And immediately what's he do? He calls Sarai and Abram and said, what's going on here? Why didn't you tell me she was your bride? I, I almost married her. I would have married her. Now, it's important to understand what happens during all that. When, when Sarai was taken like that and, and Pharaoh was going to potentially marry her, what's one of the first things that Pharaoh would have assigned her? A maidservant. A maidservant. A maid. She would have got a maid. Hagar. Hagar. This is where Hagar enters the picture. And so Hagar gets assigned like that to Sarai. Now, when this plague hits like that, the immediate response is, Pharaoh's like, get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. Remember, he had blessed him with great wealth. He didn't say, Abram, give me all the you know, sheep, the fold, the whole thing back. No, he says, get out. Take all your possessions. So why did Hagar end up going? Because back in that day, a maidservant was assigned to, particularly in this case, Sarai, and would have been considered a possession. It would have been considered a possession back then. So when Pharaoh says, get out and take your possessions, he's, he's saying all of it. All of it, including your maidservant. And so Hagar ends up leaving. And I'm sure Hagar, you know, she wasn't prompted, do you want to go? Is this? She just, she went. That's, that was the custom of the day. And so when he left, now we see Hagar, here's Sarah's maidservant. And then again, as that property, what we're going to see that if he had not gone down to Egypt, if he would have just trusted in the Lord in that promise, Maybe this opportunity for sin here wouldn't even be presented. What opportunity are we talking about? The fact that Sarai is going to turn around and say, look, it's been 10 years. I know that God promised you're going to be the father of many nations. Where is it? Where, what's happening? I'm getting older. My time clock is ticking. What's going on? I don't see it happening. And I know God promised it. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to help God here. We're going to help God. You know what I want you to do? I want you to go into our maid, my maidservant here. Go, go, you go ahead and do that. And, and, and therefore, again, part of that understanding the times is by doing that. Again, she was a possession. Therefore, as the maidservant, she technically the child would have not been Hagar's and Abram's, but it would have been Sarai's and Abram's. So you see that sin carries consequences. And, and many times, not experienced right then and there, but later might be felt. So there's no, no time where you could say, well, I got away with it. Or, or man, I, I was able to fool God, or I was able to fool this person or this situation. Our sin finds us out. And, and if, if he would have trusted in this promise, would, would he now be in this situation where Hagar would even be there? Would Sarai be able to say, hey, go into my maidservant? And, and you got to think about this too. How did Sarai feel about this? She was told to go in, and, 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 and Abram basically hands her over. I mean, he hands his wife over, and Pharaoh's there, and he's about to marry her. I mean, Sarah, Sarah must have gone, what? Is I not loved by my husband? That he would get so freely give me over that way? 
And we see, the, we see the reciprocation of that in Sarai. She's learned a behavior from her husband because her husband didn't execute or didn't demonstrate beautiful leadership in the home. Caring and protection and love like that. He just basically handed her over. Lie, go ahead. And, and, and what if something sexual would have happened? Abram wouldn't have been able to stop it. I mean, it was king. You know, he's a pharaoh. And he just so quick. So now what does she do? What, what's her response? We'll read in the account that she now is going to do the same thing. I'm going to give you Hagar. Go ahead and marry her. And I'm going to give you to her. Something so unnatural. A woman giving her husband to another woman. But do you see how it started? Because there was, a, there was sin. There was a lack of leadership in the home. There was a lack of spiritual leadership. Sin begets sin. And so, Hagar, again, undoubtedly part of what God had received, and I imagine, or not God, excuse me, what Abram would have received during his time in Egypt. She was assigned, and I, I can't help but thinking, I wonder if Abram thought about that when he was prompted with that decision. What if I didn't go to Egypt? Would this even be before me? Let's look at verse 2. So it said, Sarah, I said to Abram, see now that the Lord has restrained me. Literally underline that. She doesn't know how prophetic she is at that moment. She doesn't even realize how prophetic she is. Restrain me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Circle the word perhaps. Very, very interesting language. Shall obtain children. I shall obtain children by her. And Abram, circle the word Heated. We've seen that word in Scripture already back in Genesis 3. Heated the voice. We've seen that. What happens, right? So first of all, please go in my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain a children or a child or children by her. So again, Sarai basically is trying to encourage Abram to what would be called a surrogate mother. If you've heard the term surrogate mother, we see this is a surrogate mother. It, it was a common, it, it was an arrangement of that day. What Sarai didn't realize is that she was so prophetic in what she said that maybe God was actually turning around and making her barren at that point. And she was so concerned about it because during that time, being barren like that or without child, it was thought of as a reproach. It was, it was a stigma associated with it. So instead of Sarah, Sarai trusting God's promise, because what did he say? He had already gone through this with Abram one more time. He said, Abram, remember Abram says, hey, Eleazar from Damascus. He'll be my heir. And God's like, no. The plan is it'll be an heir from you. Biologically, you are going to have a child. You and Sarai. And so 10 years has gone by. Sarai's going, it's 10 years. Well, is there any coincidence to why? Think about it for a minute. If Sarai and Abram had a child, yes, they would have been older. To our modern standards, very old, right? We think of 40, 50, maybe even 55, sort of the end of childbearing age, right? Most would say 40s, 50s in that area. 90, 85, 75, Sarah? I mean, we would today say, whoa, that's well beyond. But God wasn't, God wasn't leaving that up because there, there were others that maybe at 60s, 70s might have had children. God says, no, we're going to wait till a ripe old age, an age like 100. And therefore, she's going to be 90. And there's no way possible man could have done this. And if man couldn't do it, who did it? The God Most High. Who gets the glory? 
the God Most High. But that means that Sarai and Abram need to be what? Patient. Hmm. So, Sarai believed in here, in verse 2. I mean, I almost wanted, I, as I was reading this, I'm going, patient, Sarai. It's a beautiful virtue. I think of our ladies here. In your Bibles, write that. It's a beautiful virtue, patience. It's beautiful. How many people want to pray for patience tonight? Right? Many of you are going, no, I don't want to. Because we've been there. You know what it's like. But you know what? Patience produces. Faith produces, right? You see, God's timing's perfect. Lord had restrained me from bearing child so that he gets the glory. See, we can see it. It's easy. Sure, you know, Pastor Matt, oh, that's easy. We're looking back, you know, thousands and thousands of years. It's easy for us. But right now, some of you are waiting. Some of you have something going on. And you're, do we move? Do we wait? What's happening? What, you know, what's going on in our lives? Wait on the Lord. He'll give you scripture to confirm it. And then he'll give you scripture when it's time to move or the next step. Every step of the way, keep talking to the Lord and he'll keep confirming it when it's time to take that next step. You know, we've often talked about, Lord, as we were growing, you know, sometimes not so much on Wednesday, but on Sundays, okay, Lord, do we go a second service or do we look for a little bit bigger building? We'd have a little more room. And the Lord just gave me tons of peace on this recently where he's like, He's like, boy, don't be Abram. Don't be Sarai. Wait. Trust. That way, who gets the glory? God. That way, it's not man striving. You don't need to worry. You don't need to, to, to strive and figure out, yes, I know you care about the flock. Yes, I know you want everybody to have a seat and you want everybody to spread out. I, I love them more than you do. Okay, Lord. Let me get the glory, huh? Yes, God. And I sit back and I, I say, there's no coincidence. We're in this account. And the Lord's speaking to my heart that way. And I'm sure he's speaking to your heart. So there might be something you all are praying about. Maybe building a house. Maybe something else the Lord's doing. And you're like, okay, Lord, what's the next step? How's it going to happen? You know, what's the next step? And, and God's like, wait. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get all the glory. I'm gonna, it's going to be far better than you could imagine. Because I'm going to do it and I'm going to bless you. And then you're going to... You're going to turn around and raise holy hands to the God, you know, most high. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 3. Keep your fingers here and let's turn to James chapter 1, verse 3. See, God's timing is important and it's perfect. And it, there's lessons for us in everything that happens in our lives. There's no coincidences. So you look at James chapter 3, or excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 3, I pardon me. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Do we want our faith tested? Do you want patience? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> I'm looking up. No, but it produces patience, right? I like that. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. You think about that. Sarai and Abram weren't willing to have their faith tested, and therefore they lacked patience in this promise. So, again, 
God was waiting till the womb was dead that way. So there was nothing more. You might say the reproductive system, there was nothing, so he would get all the glory. And then next, remember I told you to circle perhaps? Yeah. I almost wonder, that's kind of like code. I wonder if, if, if Sarah is kind of looking at Abram going, perhaps, kind of, because guys, you know what I'm talking about when your wives sort of, they might say something to you or, Perhaps, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of this statement and it might have some code or riddle in it. Like, are you hungry? Are you hungry? You know, yes, I'm hungry, but are you hungry? You know, it, it, there's this like, what are we really after here? What's really, and so I, as I was reading this, I'm like, I'm wondering if Abram's like, perhaps, what are you really after? Are you wondering if it's me? Is that maybe why the promise hasn't been completed? Is it something with my anatomy? Is something not? Perhaps? Is, 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 the, is the problem, you know, is, are you the problem, Abram? Because she has no problem with shift. I mean, she, she can shift the blame here in a moment. We're going to read. And later on, she'll be like, it's your fault. And he's like, I did what you told me. I mean, so, I mean, he can't win either way here. But he, he I will say, he didn't stand up as the pastor of his home for certain. He should have said no, but... Clearly, I mean, there's something going on with this whole perhaps, and I don't know, maybe she was trying to gauge his level of interest, you know? Abram, are you willing to wait with me on the promises of God? Perhaps you'll have a child? I don't know. It was interesting the way she put it, and it's interesting in the language here. Hmm. And like I said, maybe she's wondering if her reproach is upon her, or maybe the reproach is actually upon Abram. She wants to understand. Sometimes, do you notice when we do that, when we want to understand the problem, what do we do? We, we want to assign fault or sometimes assign behavior to it. It's, this is what we're dealing with right now. It's your fault or it's my fault or it's, because it, somehow it helps us to, to understand, well, this is why we haven't had children for 10 years. It's not because God wants to bless our socks off. And he's got a perfect plan for it. No, no. <laughs> it's because of you. The, you're the man that God gave me. You were willing to give me up in Egypt. Perhaps now this is the problem. It's your sin, right? Who knows what, exactly what she was thinking here, but, but it is interesting. So Abram takes sort of his turn here, and he thinks, well, yeah. Maybe we should intervene for God. Yeah, maybe that makes sense. I, I think that's a great idea, Sarah. I, I'm not going to trust the promises that God has just brought me through in chapter 15. No, no, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to forget what just happened in Egypt and all the, my spiritual low at that. No, no, that doesn't seem realistic. I mean, 10 years I've been struggling in this land, waiting to go where God you had provided me, waiting for the air that you had provided. Yep, no, God, I'm going to throw that away and just, uh, you need help, Lord. I, I clearly know that. You, now, all of you sitting here, you're looking going, yeah, we've all done that. Haven't we? Haven't we like micromanaged God? I mean, Lord, I know you need our help. I mean, clearly this door opened and I know this other door opened, but clearly you don't want me to go through that door. You want me to go through this door. How do you know? Well, because it just seems right. I'm just going to do it because I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, right? No, none of us do that. <laughs> we, you know, that's what I love. I mean, we can all, can't we read it and see ourselves in this very account? We could see ourselves acting this, you know, acting this out. And, 
And that's why I said, Lord, guard our hearts. If we start to sense or discern that we're doing this, immediately let the, you know, the, the check in our spirit, boom, stop, wait a minute. Is this a promise of God that we're not trusting in? Wait. Because God's got the very best for us. Otherwise, man, we're going to be circling around and circling around and missing God's very best. Because we're off, <laughs> we're off helping God solve the problem. Right? And it says, And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. You know, Sarah, again, Sarai does something against the nature of most wives, and that's to give her husband to another woman. And again, I, I think maybe that's because of the fact that Abram was so willing to do it first, give his wife to other men to protect his own hide. A real weakness. A weakness. You know, husbands, we just came off this awesome marriage retreat. You know, we saw ladies, you know, submit, surrender, yes. And it's a lot easier to submit and surrender when you have a husband that's dead to himself. When a husband dies to himself because he surrendered and he's serving his wife. We looked at Boaz and Ruth. Boaz, oh my, when Ruth came out and she was so humble and laid at his feet in such humility like that, Boaz was like, man, give her the wheat. Drop extra wheat, you know, drop extra grain. Give her everything, you know. He just, he just was like wrecked. He's like, this woman has such beautiful virtue. You know, just like patience is a virtue. So, I don't know, maybe Abram was so quick, quick to allow Sarai to be taken that maybe he didn't think there was a problem with this. I mean, clearly, I, I think this is pointing to a breakdown in the marriage. I mean, God designed marriage to be monogamous. One man and one woman. It's very simple here. Now, you might be thinking, well, I know there's cases in the Bible, right? You know, you might be thinking, well, Jacob, right? David, right? Um, maybe Solomon. But it's important to understand that when God lists these things out, like Ecclesiastes, we can read in the book of Ecclesiastes, many times God's listing through the Holy Spirit these things. It doesn't mean it's God's plan, right? Polygamy is never God's plan. We see evidence of that early on, right? Before the law like that, and even sometimes after law. We see that. But it was never God's design or plan. It was always one man and one woman, and it goes back to the beginning of Genesis. And we read already about that, Genesis chapter 3 there, and 2, and, and how God had designed it. He took this, the rib out of the man, he put the man asleep, and he brought God the Father, just like a father when he walks his daughter down the aisle, the bride-to-be. God the Father walked Eve to Adam. See, we, we see, I mean, biblically, we look at all of, you know, marriages throughout all of Scripture. It's a relationship between even a, a, a ladies, married or not. Your first love is Jesus Christ. He's your husband. And yes, you have a husband here, absolutely. But, but do you see that beautiful relationship and how he, he talks about how the bride of Christ, we're the body, the bride of Christ, and he's the groom? I mean, he gives us all these illustrations through Scripture here. And so this, this marriage was completely broken down. And so when we look at, like I said, Jacob, David, Saul, yeah, they might have done it, but it doesn't mean God condoned it, nor did he design it, and it wasn't his divine plan. Once again, they were helping God out. And we see that in almost every circumstance, 
It doesn't work out well for them in the marriage. I mean, look at Solomon alone. In the beginning, Solomon had such wisdom, such amazing wisdom in all the things he was doing and things were going well. And then he has like what? Like 600 wives or something like that? 400 or 300 concubine? I can't remember the exact number, almost like 11. Look, I got one wife God's blessed me with. I can't imagine of ever having anything or anyone else. I'm blessed with one. What would a thousand women give you that your one wife who Jesus Christ knit to you perfectly, not be able to give you, men. That's all you'd get. Because God's, you'd be going away from God's design and plan. The point is, you know, he's, Aaron's joking around, he's saying, oh, you'd get migraines with all those, you know, a thousand, being married to a thousand women. The point he's making is that nothing good had come of it. Destruction, not goodness. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. He ends up doing what? He ends up committing idolatry. Idolatry. You look, go read, go back and read, look at the life. He was doing so well. He got caught up in the woman, and, and next thing you know, he's committing idolatry because he's worshiping, and the high places are set back up again, and he goes back and he starts burning incense, and he's worshiping, and he's doing all these uh, you know, behaviors of idolatry because he wanted to appease his wife. It's not God's plan, and it doesn't end well. You know, maybe she felt, Sarah, I felt it was time to do something. Again, it had been 10 years. A lot of people will recite, God helps those who help themselves. First of all, that's not even in the Bible. I think most of us get that. That's, that's just a pithy saying. It's not even scriptural. God does not, <laughs> God does not help people that help themselves. I would say God helps those in spite of themselves. How about that? God helps people in spite of who you are because it's His glory, His honor, His promises. And even though in this early form of surrogate motherhood that we see here, right, it was common, it was accepted in that day. You might say, well, Pastor, how do we know that? Well, there was writings like the Code of Arabi that was a, a well-known, preserved Babylonian um, law code from ancient Mesopotamia. It dates all the way back to 1754 B.C., and in there, we read about surrogate motherhood, and it describes the practice. But again, that doesn't mean it's right. We have many laws of this land today. Homosexual marriage, all these, you know, abortion, murdering children. We have many laws that today are on the books, but that doesn't make them right when we look at it through the lens of Scripture. The Scripture's our biblical lens. It's how we understand right and wrong. Not from what we think or what a politician or somebody else that sits up on a podium and decides today, this is what I'm going to vote on. Well, I appreciate you doing that. But that has nothing to do, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because it's not sought after God's Word, it has nothing to do with God teaches through the Scripture, through the Word of God. Right? It doesn't mean it's right. God's clearly not leading Abram and Sarai here. This is the desire of their will. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. We haven't even got to the book of Judges yet, and they're already after it. Verse 3. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. Again, notice the description. It's very important how he's laid, because God's going to talk to Hagar, and he's going to use this, the maid of Sarai. Even though Abram here is in a minute going to marry, because Sarai is going to concoct this plan to marry Hagar, God never acknowledges this marriage. This is not a marriage. God never acknowledges this. And we'll see that in verse 8 of 16, chapter 16. 
But then Sarah Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband. That, that's not her place to do. Who is she to give, to give him that? I mean, who is she to give Abram that way? Abram was already married. And, and as we see, look down just quickly at verse 8, and it says, And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. It doesn't say, Hey, Hagar, Abram's wife. God doesn't acknowledge that. So we can do and concoct a lot of things, like, like this homosexual marriage, the laws of the land, but God doesn't acknowledge that. People can civilly say, you know, you can create a civil law all you want. It doesn't mean that God acknowledges it, nor is it right, nor does it mean that God is on board because he didn't rain down fire and brimstone. No. It's because he has grace, and he's patient, and he's long-suffering, and he's praying that hearts will be changed, and that they will come back to him. And after that, Abram dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. By most accounts, ten, ten years seems like a long time to wait for a promise, right? I mean, today, I mean, you think about it. You know, I was laughing as I was sort of praying, and I was laughing. Um, it's sort of, it's funny and it's sad all at the same time. It just, it just shows you how close we are really to the end times. It's, it's, we're, we're right upon it. You know, you can look at Moses, you can look at others through the Bible where they waited. I've told, you know, we've talked about it for Paul, you know, 13 years. I gave you my example last time, you know, five plus years, seven, if you had all, you know, Abram's going to be a total of 20 something years when you really look at it, from when he originally got the promise of the heir to when it actually is fulfilled. It's only been 10 years that he's still in waiting. It's still going to be another 13 years before he actually gets Isaac that way. Is there today? And I think we got to be real today. If people go a day or two after praying, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need the answer. It's very important. Should should I buy a red BMW or a black BMW? Right. I, I say that in jest because people, you know, come on, right? They're praying. What do I do, Lord? Instead of Lord. You know, what's your will? How should I live today, Lord? How can I serve you? Right? I'm, I'm jesting in some extent when I say red or black, but if a day or two goes by and they don't get an answer, oh my. <laughs> I have the blessing to counsel some people like this, and their, their answers are, are, are very different, and it's kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to use the word anger or frustration, but it's like, he's not hearing me. Is he, is, is he you know, I mean, they made a movie of it. Is, you know, is God dead, right? God's not dead. I mean, it, what's going on? Why isn't he answering me right now? I need this. Doesn't he know what I need? And we begin to forget that God doesn't need our help. He doesn't, his timing's perfect. And, and he's, he's working out faith in our lives because he knows that faith is going to produce patience. And as we already read in James chapter 1-3, what's that going to do? It's going to work on our completion. It's going to complete us. But I don't think there's anyone here, including me, that loves this. We don't sit back and go, yes, I know, I tell you, James is like, count it all the joy. It's like, yeah, you're maniacal. No, I'm not, you know, and then I fight back and then what happens? And then I, I, I start to surrender. I get right and my heart gets humbled. And all of a sudden, I do find it a joy. I really do. Now when I go through trials and circumstances, 
I recognize, I can step out of my circumstance to recognize the hand of God working in my life. I might not always like it, but I always know it's what's best for me. And some of you, I know you're, you're in the same place. You do the same thing in your life. You, you rec- you've gotten to that point of spiritual maturity where you step back and you are able to recognize these things. And you might not, it might not be comfortable or convenient. You might not like it. But the work that God produces through you, I mean, the fact that he uses us is best. I, I am amazed every week that I stand up here that the Lord leads me to stand back up here because I'm thinking, man, I blow it all the time. I'm amazed you all come back. And I'm, I, I'll be, it's not for, I know you come back because you, you want to meet with Jesus. But I sit there and I go, man, how inadequate am I, right? Some of you are out there thinking how inadequate maybe you are, right? It's a good place to be. It's not, nothing wrong with meekness or humility. I mean, it's praise the Lord. The world doesn't put a, a value on it, but I'll tell you what God does in his word. It's okay if you sit back and go, well, Lord, what, what, good, you know, what am I doing? Oh, watch how he works through your life. And the beauty is that many times you don't even see all the way he's using you at your job with other people as a, as a willing vessel. And you're thinking, what am I doing? I have people come and talk, Pastor, I want to be more involved. I, want to I said, oh my, you're doing all these things. What do you mean? But don't you know in all the ways that you're seeking after the Lord, your heart, your praise, your worship? No, 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 that's where it begins. With your heart and, and, and surrendered and it's beautiful. Back to what I was saying here about, you know, waiting a day or two. I mean, we're so impatient today. The technology's made it that way. I mean, like, you know, fast food. I mean, fast food's not even fast anymore to us. If we got to go to like a drive-thru and it takes more than like three minutes, we're like, send a manager out here. I want a free meal, you know? And I mean, people have really gotten to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, really? I mean, we need to rest. We need to occupy and be content where the Lord places us. It's not about this journey of where we have to constantly be moving like that. You know, it's, it's the, today, some people are always looking to that next event. You know, I, you're in elementary school. You can't wait to be in middle school. You're in middle school. You can't wait to be in high school. You're in high school. You can't wait to get a learner's permit and drive. You can drive. Then you can't wait to be 18 and move out on your own, right? And then when you're out on your own, you finally figure out that you wished you were what? Back home. Because you missed the present. And you forgot that the day before you was a present from God. It was a gift. It was a gift and we never walked in it or lived in it because we were so busy looking to the future. We weren't intentional about the day God's given before us. We're to be about our Father's business, but that means we've got to be intentional today. Lord, what do you have today for me? Tomorrow morning, what do you have, Lord? A year from now, the Lord's coming back. I don't know if we're going to be here Sunday. I work, I pray and I do my messages maybe a week or two out. I'm like, Lord, I'm not going to get, you know, some, I've, I've talked to pastors like, oh yeah, I got the next six months. I sit there and I'm like, man, alive, you might not, the Lord's coming. I'd rather be living in the moment, doing what God's, living in the Holy Spirit, letting him work 
being vulnerable to that, right? There's a vulnerability to that. It's not comfortable because you got to be flexible. But, but leading, being led that way so that if God says, okay, go here. Great, my message is done. Praise the Lord. I'm going to serve. I'm going here. I'm going there. Somebody needs a hospital visit. Somebody needs someone to cry with. Somebody needs someone to laugh with. I mean, do we live our lives that way? Are we already planning in the 2020? Do we believe God's coming back? Do we believe in the doctrine of imminency? That's what he told us. And if you live that way, you're not thinking about, hey, what's the next best job I'm going to get? You're not thinking, hey, what's the next car I'm going to drive? You're not thinking, what's the next big house I'm going to have? Or the possession. You're, you're, not, you're not even thinking, hey, I want to take a loan longer than maybe six years, right? Because you don't even know if you're going to be here to even see the end of the payments, you know, the, the six months or six years of payments like that. We really don't know. And it just, it just kind of, as I was reading this, I was like, God, you're, you know, you're so right, Lord, always. We get so vulnerable when we're like this. We get discouraged. And then we get vulnerable because it's not happening fast enough. It's not happening the way we want. And all of a sudden, our countenance begins to drop, and we become depressed, or we become anxious, or we, sometimes we do both in the same day. I mean, we're down, we're up. I mean, we're all over the place because things aren't going the way that we had planned. Because the way we're trying to help God, isn't he paying attention? I mean, we gave him the layup. All God got to do is slam it in. I mean, we did it for him. I mean, doesn't he appreciate what we're doing? We've got to be careful about acting in the flesh. That's what this is. It's acting in the flesh, not after the spirit. It's going to be 13 more years before the child of promise comes when we impatiently try to help our God, help him out, do it for him, it's always in the flesh. It accomplishes nothing and oftentimes it, it really prolongs the time until it's fulfilled, until what he's called us to do is fulfilled. It prolongs the time. I'll give you a couple scriptural examples. Jacob. Jacob had to live in exile for 25 years, people. 25 years because he thought he had to help God out. Remember, to get his father's blessing? 25 years. Moses, he had to tend sheep for 40 years in the desert because he thought he had to help God out by, by murdering the Egyptian. You know, God gives us these examples over and over in Scripture. He's like, don't blow through the warning sign. Don't do it. Don't blow through the warning sign. Verse 4. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. That didn't take long. That didn't take long, did it? So all of a sudden, you know, Abram goes into Hagar like that. They had, this is talking about sexual relations. And, you know, if you, if you go back then, it's, it's actually, I don't think there's any young people in here right now. Um, the way it goes back back then, and we'll, we'll study it when we go to other scriptures, it actually talks about, it's not a romantic interlude where like they're married and now they're going to have relations. Actually, the practice at that time was that the person that, um, in this case, Hagar, would have sat on the lap of Sarai. They would have, they would have sort of had it like that because it, what it was signifying was is that while they were consummating that child, that child belonged to Sarai and Abram. And it was being made very clear that that was a surrogate 
and that the rightful owner or heir was going to be Sarai and it was going to be Abram. And a lot of us are thinking here, I can see your facial expressions, mine included, like, oh my. We don't, see, we don't, we don't be, you know, we're not Bereans. We don't go back a lot of times and study. I know not here, you all do, but, but many times people don't go back and study this and, and realize this is what it's talking about. And, and, and you think Sarai, this is her idea. And, and, and really, they went to this extent because they wouldn't wait on God's promise. It's repulsive to most of us, isn't it? It's repulsive. We would never do that or think of that with our spouse or the person we love. That just shows how far people will go and how they'll begin to explain away or compromise in sinful situations. So, I mean, you know, Abram was certainly in the flesh when he agreed to Sarai's plan here. He wasn't demonstrating any trust in God's ability to provide that error. You know, he wasn't trusting in the promise God had just given him in chapter 15. Remember that? I am your shield, your great reward. And it says, and she conceived, you know. And I think it's interesting because the worst thing in Sarah's eyes or Sarai's eyes here or this perspective was that actually Hagar got pregnant. Isn't that interesting? It now goes back to that term I had you circle, perhaps. Isn't that interesting? Look at her response. And look at Hagar's response. She immediately like, kind of senses that she's despised in her eyes. Now, we're not told exactly what she said with her eyes, but you know, the eyes can communicate a lot. I mean, especially you know, women, I, I laugh because you know, it's like when another woman throws an angry, a jealous, a frustrated, or lonely stare at another woman. You know? Women can do that. Guys don't generally do that. We, we don't, I don't think we know how to do that. Uh, but women, I mean, I don't know if it's like, you know, I, I, for those listening, you know, it's kind of that, whoosh, you know, that look like that. I, I always picture like a Western, like, dun, 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 you know, like the way that a woman looks like when she looks at you like that, you know, guys in here, come on, even if you're not married, you, you know what I'm talking about. Guys are like, I don't know. I'm just going to stay quiet. No, you, got, you know, when your wife or your friend or women, especially women to women, when they look at each other, they can communicate. And they know what they're saying. It's not always bad either. I mean, they, but they can communicate. It's like, it's like a eye sign language or something. I don't know what's happening. But they're doing something. Now, what's worse is guys, when we're married and our wives start to do this, right? Like my wife, Lisa, she can, man, she has, sometimes she'll give me, we were at dinner with somebody. Maybe it's one of you guys. If you see it, you guys know what's happening here. Just somebody kick me, please, or elbow me to catch on, but she'll be sitting there, we're sitting, you know, at dinner, and maybe it's, you know, we're talking about, I'm just, I'm, I'm eating, I'm oblivious, I'm like, you know, I'm in the food, I'm like, this is the greatest night of my life, you know, I love this, you know, I mean, it's beautiful, I'm having a great time, and my wife will give me this look, and I immediately go into, like, panic mode, like, I am trying to decode real time, I, I, it's worse than being in the Navy when you're getting like messages setting across and I'm like SOS. I'm like trying to decode this. And it's, it's like, you know, the look and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'm thinking first instinct, do I have food on my face? Am I being embarrassing? You know, if I got stuff everywhere. So I do one of these deals and then she's still doing it. So I know that's not it. That's how we, that's how I process the code. If it's still the look, I know I didn't get it right. I didn't decode. And then, so she turns around and you know, she'll, she'll, you know, we, we get in the car later and she'll, why did you, you know, such and such? And I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. You know, I didn't know. She's like, I gave you the look. And I'm like, I didn't take that class. 
I don't know what you're saying. You know, did I do something stupid? Did I say something? I missed it all, all together. But, but here, Sarai, I mean, she, Hagar looks at her, man, and it's some kind of disgust or maybe a haughtiness or, or something like that. And Sarai's upset. And Abram's just like, at least she wasn't looking at me. I'm sure Abram was thinking that. But part of it, Abram's also going, what just happened? You know, he has no clue. And he's like, you know, da -na -na -na. like I told you, that Western song comes to my head, like where you're going to take like the shoe off and whoosh, you know, something bad's going to happen. And so as we move into verse 5 here, we see Sarai's anger towards Hagar. Now look at her response. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. Poor Abram. And I don't say poor because you know what? He should have been the pastor of his home, right? He should have been the leader of his home. He should never have compromised. But Abram, oh man, he's standing there going like, what happened? And she's like, it's you. And he's just like, I, I don't know, you know. My wrong be upon you. So what does she do? She, she blame shifts. She immediately was like, look, look, watch how each one of these folks handle this. You got, again, Sarai, you got Abram, and you got Hagar. Watch how each one of these characters sort of handles this. You, know, you almost get a reverse Adam situation when Adam and Eve, and Eve sinned like that. What did Adam do? It's the woman you gave me. You see, there's that fleshly tendency because of the sin. It's, it's your fault. It's blame shifting. So, so Sarai goes right into blame shifting. It's my wrong be upon you. And again, it reminds me of back of Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. When Adam did what? It said right in there. Underline it if you're looking back. He heeded the voice. He heeded. He listened to Eve. He ate of the fruit he shouldn't have. And here we see once again, Abram, what did you do wrong? He heeded the voice of his wife. He compromised. And we see blame shifting. It's interesting now to see how each one responds. And Abram, he should again acted as a spiritual leader here. I mean, told his wife that God was able to perform, that, that God had already come to him and said, I am your what? I am your shield and I am your great reward. But Abram's like, no, man, I'm, I, I don't have it in me. I mean, that's what Abram's thinking. He's like, I am not getting in the middle of this. Now, guys, sometimes, guys, we got to be real. There's times our wives, our friends, things like that are happening, and we're like, if we open our mouth, this isn't going to be good. We just stay quiet. Just, just, act, just act stupid. Just put your head down. Go with it. Just, 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 just put your head down and just, just take it. Take one for the team. Right? I, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Guys in here again are like, I don't know what he means. <laughs> don't worry. You're going to get to talk tonight, guys. Ladies are going to be like, what did Pastor mean when he was saying that? And guys are like, you broke the code. No. But there, you, know, you just go along with it, right? But here's what's the problem. Abram, he didn't turn around and he did what? He says, I'll help God out. He starts working in the flesh again. And he says, indeed, your maidservant is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Look, look how he responds there. I mean, I, he says, I, she says, I gave you my maid to embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Right? And then in verse 6, he's going to say, hey man, you do what you want, Sarah. I'm not, I'm, I can tell you're, you're upset. I can tell that, and I'm not getting in the middle of it. And Abram's like skirting the issue. So again, Sarai shift blames, or blame shifts, right? Abram does what? Abram's like, he just, he just dodges. He's a dodger. He's just dodging everything. Abram's like, nope, I'm not getting hit with the, with the, the ball there. You know, I'm just going to dodge the ball like that. 
It says, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. You know, Abram seems to make a bad situation here. I mean, this is a bad situation. He makes it worse by turning the situation over Sarai and not taking care of the child he's a father to. You know, I, he assumes no responsibility. He assumes no responsibility here. And yet, one spark out of this that you can pull out is he does what? He puts Sarai first. In one way, he puts Sarai first, and that's good, but at the same time, he basically says, do what you want, and goes along with it. There's no responsibility, no accountability there. And then what's Hagar do? She runs, she flees, right? Gets out of Dodge. You see how complicated and difficult situation arise out of sin? Do you see how the, this whole thing arose because they didn't trust in the promises of God? You know, all in all, it's far easier. If, you, if they would have just trusted the Lord, first of all, who knows if it would have took another 13 years. I, I believe it would have because God, again, was going to do His perfect timing and show that it couldn't be in their strength. But secondly, if they would, I mean, all this other drama, um, poor Hagar. I mean, we don't, do we think of her? She's a victim. I mean, poor Hagar in this situation. I mean, even Sarai at this point now realized what she did because her heart is hurt and she's despised by her maid. You know, that whole I thing. And I mean, God wants to spare us from these difficulties. Look at verse 6. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly, we don't know exactly what she did. We don't have any extra biblical evidence or anything else. We just know that this harshly is in here. And she fled from her presence. So, so we clearly see that's, that's Hagar's response. She was treated harshly. She's a victim, clearly. And she just leaves. She just gets out of there. Verse 7. First time we see this. Angel of the Lord. Write this down. Very, underline it. It's the first time we see it in Scripture. Very important. Now the angel of the Lord, circle this, found her. So beautiful. Found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. Where's shore? Egypt. On the way to Egypt. She was heading back home. She was heading back home here. Okay. Now, as she starts heading back to Egypt, Hagar uh, you know, escapes this difficult situation in the angel of the Lord. What is that? It's the pre-incarnate, right? We see it's, the, it's, it's Jesus. It's his presence. And where does he meet her? So important. By the spring of water. We'll also see by a well in the wilderness, right? What does that talk about? It talks about the, the protection, the, the providing for. That's what the water, the spring of water, the, the protection, the providing for. And by scholars, this is one of the first places we see a theopany. A pre-incarnate before Bethlehem, before thousands of years later when Jesus Christ came as the God-man, we see the very first presence of God coming here in this chapter. And who is he going after? Hagar, a Gentile. Isn't that interesting? God loves us all. No one is disqualified. There's no one that whether you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I have done terrible things, or man, my situation or my state, look at, look at Agar, you know? And God goes after her. And what's he do? He finds her. God goes and leaves the 99 and goes after the one. 
We see it right here. Jesus, Jesus isn't exaggerating when he said that in the scripture, in the gospels. He says, I'll leave the 99, go after one. Here we see it. He's already done it. Thousands of years ago, before it'll be written in the gospels in the New Testament, we see an example where he's already done it. Now, if you look in your Bibles in John chapter 1, verse 18, if you want to turn there quickly, it says, you know, on time, actually, we'll just go through it. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he declared to him. And no man has ever seen God in the person of the Father. That's in 1 Timothy 6.16. Therefore, obviously, if God here appeared to someone in a human appearance in the Old Testament, since no one has seen God the Father, it must be of what? The eternal Son. It has to be. It has to be the eternal Son. The second person of the Trinity. Before, again, His incarnation, that He'll come in in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, many thousands of years later. And I like that she was found here. I mean, this Gentile maidservant, she's an Egyptian, and Jesus goes after her. You know, it just shows Christ's love and compassion. He's the same God. Some people, well, the God of the Old Testament's the different than the God. Oh, that's such a lie. He's a God of mercy, compassion, grace, love. He's God. And these are all his character attributes. If there's somebody here, maybe you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm like Hagar. I, you, know, I'm, you know, I don't fit in anywhere. I kind of feel like I'm a low person on the totem pole. And maybe you've been victimized. Maybe you've been abused in your life. Maybe you've had horrible things happen to you. Just know that in spite of how you've been mistreated, God is pursuing you. Just as he pursued Hagar, he's coming after you. He loves you. And all you need to do is be responsive to his pursuit. You just need to open your heart and receive him as your Lord and Savior. He found her. He finds you. He comes after you. It, the horrible things that have happened in your life. He finds you. We're living in a fallen world. Bad things happen to very good and innocent people. And, and Jesus goes after them. He's never going to abandon you. And he's never going to let his love end like that. All you need to do, as I said, believe in him and enter his rest for you. And he will heal all that's happened. He will make all things new. He will make all things new. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Notice how God responds. Jesus here responds. Hagar, Sarah's maid. Not Hagar, Abram's wife. Hagar, Sarah is made, doesn't acknowledge the marriage. Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Hmm. You know, he says, where are you coming from? Where are you going? You know, the phrase where you're going here in the Hebrew implies, actually, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go, Hagar. Where, where, where are you trying to escape? Where do you want to go? Where is it ever going to be right, Hagar, here on this earth? Christian, where today do you want to run to? You think, well, it'll be better in a different state, in a different country, in a different land. We are living in a fallen world. God has placed us right where we are. Unless he's given you a call to go over as a missionary, which is wonderful, he's called you to be a missionary right here where you are. I mean, we're in South Central Pennsylvania. We got Harrisburg, we got the West Shore, the East Shore. We got a lot of opportunity for ministry. It's all around us. 
All we need is a willing heart, a surrendered heart, and being willing to stand up and get after our Father's business. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Can you imagine Hagar right now? What? Jesus, I thank you for coming after me, but what? You want me to go back there where I was just victimized? And Jesus says, Yeah, I, I'm going to bless you and I have a plan. I mean, he tells her to do something so difficult to go back to a terrible situation and submit her to, to, to Sarai. And for a lot of us here tonight, that's probably hard to hear that. Lord, I, I don't understand. You know? She, she might have got this same kind of counseling from our, our psychologist today. Or she wouldn't have got this kind of counseling, excuse me, from our, our psychologist today. They would have said, no, you, you know, no, no, no. Avoid difficult situations. Run from them. Now, look, I want to be very clear here. We're not, we're not, we're not talking about physical abuse. If, if there's someone here tonight that's living in a marriage and you are physically abused, by all means, get out. You know, come see me. Come, you know, talk to Tammy at the, at the, at the desk out there and set up time for counseling. Come, do not put yourself in danger that way, ever. God doesn't call you to stay in a situation where you are being physically and mentally abused that way. All right, so that's, that's not what God's saying here. What, what he's saying is go back and submit yourself. He, he's got a plan, and he wants Hagar to actually be a promise to Abram and Sarai. Because when he goes back, she goes back, excuse me, she's going to explain all this to Abram, and, and he's going to respond, and he's going to do exactly what God said. Name this child Ishmael. Abram's going to do it. He's going to follow God. She's going to be actually used as a testimony against him or to him, you might say. What I'm talking about here, what I think Hagar and God is doing, is he's talking about not quitting or believing the lie of quitting. Quitting on yourself, running out, running from life's problems. He's talking about digging in and praying here. Hagar, submit yourself. Go back. Dig in. Pray. Trust me. Believe my promises. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael. God hears. Because the Lord has heard, circle it there, your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So God has great plans for Hagar's child. He will become a great nation. Indeed, Ishmael will become the father of the Arabic people, the people of, uh, of Arabic that way. You look at today's battle between the Jews and you know, the Arabs, nothing new here. Both Jews and Arabs are descendants by Abram. Two half-brothers. Ishmael, the son to come later from Abram, is going to be what? The half-brother to Isaac. The heir, the promise, the seed that will come through eventually. You know, and this entire conflict that we see today in the Middle East between much of the Jews and much of the Arabs, it comes back and can be traced back to Abram's decision here to help God out. 
Did you ever think about that? It can all be traced back, just like we trace back where Hagar came from, from Egypt, like that. If we trace back where this conflict in the Middle East comes, Ishmael, the, the, the father of the Arabs there, and, and, and Isaac, the father of the Jews, like that, it's all traced back to that conflict. It can be traced back that way. When, when Abram agreed to go into Hagar, and first of all, when he went to Egypt to begin with, you know, he says, he shall be a wild man. He shall be against every man, and every man's hand shall be against him. His, her child's life will not be easy, but God will still bless and sustain him. You see, God's dealing with Hagar, and, and, and he gives her hope. He gives her hope. That's why she can return. You see, God sees our suffering. He desires, desires to sort of touch our life when we suffer like that. He sees it. He's not, you know, he doesn't not look upon it that way. If, if there's something going on and you're in this situation, you're like, Lord, why? <coughs> many times we don't understand, many times we do, but, but we must trust God in all things, that, that He's working out a plan that's the very best from our lives, even when it doesn't make sense. Now, now, sometimes, I think we would all agree, we can find ourselves in that situation because of our own sin. Much of why Abram finds himself in the situation with Sarai Again, we already talked about it, was traced back to what? Egypt. His first sin for not trusting in the promises of God. And then we see it again here in chapter 16, when he doesn't trust in the promises of God that God gave him in chapter 15, which is, I am your great reward, I am your shield. So we see the sin again. So many times people say, well, why are all these things happening to me? It's never my fault. And God is, you know, a dictator and he doesn't love me and he's not compassionate. And it's like, wait a minute. We have to be real and examine our own hearts. Do we have sin in the camp? Is there sin in the camp? Is there sin in our lives? Is there sin in our marriages? Is there sin in our homes? Are we letting things on the TV come into the home that shouldn't be on there? Are we letting pornography come through the computer and then wondering why we have lust in our home and our spouse is looking at the opposite sex, lusting after him or her? You know, it used to be a time where, you know, you'd say, well, pornography was just men. You know, the statistics are coming very close anymore. I think it's like 60-40 now. I mean, it's very close, women and men. It's the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and what? The pride of life. The pride of life. See, God, God gives her this beautiful blessing. And because of that, she can return. And then it says in verse 13, Then she called... The name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, can you imagine she's sitting there and she's going, you really do see. You really do understand. You do see my heart. You know what I'm worried. You know why I left. You asked me why I left. I told you. But you are the God who sees. You came after me. I mean, here's this Gentile Egyptian woman. And she's the first person in the entire scripture up to this point that sees the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ, a theopany. Huh. It's amazing. It's miraculous. Have I also seen him who sees me? Oh, whoa. Now she starts getting wise. Wait a minute. Am I seeing the living God? He who sees me, am I now seeing him? She recognizes, and she's saying, and I live, I'm not dead, you know, 
oh my gosh, my heart's working, I'm breathing, I'm, I'm talking to Jesus Christ here. I live. Look at this. Verse 14, therefore the well, circle that well. First time we see that word for, again, provision, a provision that God provides here. Was called Be'er Lahi Roy, right? Which can also mean literally, well of the one who lives and sees me. That's what that could mean right there. And observed it was between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. So wait a minute, verse 15, something's happened here. So Hagar bore him a son, and, and what? Abram named his son. What does that mean? What happened then? She went back. She went back. She was faithful. She went back. And what did she do? She didn't just go back, but Abram names him Ishmael. What did she do? She told, she told him everything that God, everything that Jesus Christ had told him. She went back, and she was faithful to tell Sarai and to tell Abram like that. Do we tell other people the things that God tells us? He's given us a gospel. Do we share it? Are we faithful? You know, I can remember Pastor Joe Foch once said, this is early on, you know, when they were 500, 600 people. They're like 8,000, you know, big, big fellowship over there in Philly. I can remember, he says, you know, they've sent out 20 different, it's a beautiful thing the Lord's done there, 20 different Calvary Chapel plants in that whole area. And I, I remember hearing this, I don't know if it was one of his tapes, or I don't remember exactly where I heard it, but it was, it was beautiful to me. And he said, you know what? Every time we send people, you know, take a thousand people with you, go plant over here in this part of Philly, go, go, to, you know, go to all these neighborhoods, plant the, you know, share the word of Christ, share the word of God with everybody. <laughs> and take a thousand of your closest friends with you and plant here. And, and they would do that. And he says, and every time I do that, I look back in the fellowship and it's full again. He, said, he says, this is all because of you. Because you go back and you tell everybody the good news of Jesus Christ and you bring people with you. And next thing you know, the place is filled back up again. We have to keep sending people out. And I said, what a beautiful, you know what that is? That's a ministry of discipleship. That's a ministry of reproducers. We're all called to be that here. I, and I see you do it. I mean, look, you know, a year ago, we were a quarter of what we were, we're the Lord. And numbers don't matter. God doesn't see that. But the point is, I'm saying, you're reproducers. In another year, who knows, right? We might have three, sir. I don't know what the Lord will do. You're reproducers. You're disciple makers. But I'm saying because, you know, I don't know about you, but I can't make it through the week if I don't get to my midweek. I need to come into my midweek. I need to spend time with Christ. I need to hear his word. And I'm not laying a trip on you, man. You do what you want. I'm just, I'm just being real with me. I'm, just be, I'm speaking to me right now. I need to be here. I need to be ministered to by God. I need to be with Jesus. It's my tackling fuel for the week. It's my tackling fuel. So Agar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Agar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Oh, my God. You think about that. And then there's going to be another 13 years that are what we call silent years. Really, there's some things happening, but another, he doesn't really, Abram doesn't hear back until another 13 years. So he's gone through another 10, and then there'll be another 13, and then finally Isaac will be born. Okay? So he knew 
Hagar first knew that you are the God who sees was not this a mere angel. This is the angel of the Lord. He's the one who sees. He's the one that's always been watching over Hagar and Ishmael. He's the one that watches over you right now and your wife and your husband and your children and your friends, wherever they are. If they're in different states, wherever they might be, he's the, he's the God who hears, right? And so Hagar returned, she submitted, she told the whole story. And then after meeting with El Royoi, right, which that's what we see here, that means you are the God who sees in Hebrew, Hagar knew that God could be with her in the wilderness and that he would be with her when he went back to Sarai and submit. God will be with you wherever you are. He will be with us wherever we go. It's one of the things that I know uh, the Lord had given Preston when we were stepping out. Each one of us got different scriptures. Lisa got a scripture and God was telling her, okay, it's time to go when we're moving. And Preston had been really praying. He had a lot of friends back at Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes and had gone to the school there and everything and knew a lot of people. And, and we, you know, at that time, I think he was what, probably 10, 11, somewhere in there. And I remember him coming over here and he was, he was going, you know, Dad, I'm having a hard time. I said, well, pray. The Lord will give you a scripture. He's not just calling me. He's calling the whole family. I mean, yes, I'm the senior pastor, but he's, he's calling the whole family here. And I said, so just, just pray. And it wasn't, I think, a few days he got a scripture. And he says, ah, it doesn't matter where you go. I won't leave you. I'll be with you wherever you go. And he comes into the room. I was studying in my room. I was reading in my quiet time. He says, Dad, i got to talk to you. I said, sure, Preston. He says, we can go. I said, oh, I'm glad I got your you know, buy-in and approval. Thank you, son. And he goes, no, Dad. God, God's going to be with us wherever you go. Wherever I go, he's going to be there. I said, yes, he will, son. And it was nothing more precious than watching him learn that by trusting in the Word of God and reading his Word. You see, and I'll leave us with this. God's going to be with us wherever we go. You know, as we go through life in difficult circumstances, He's right here with us.